You're listening to Qalam Institute's podcast. Visit us on the web at qalaminstitute.org and join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash qalaminstitute. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah we're going to be continuing our sessions on the seerah, the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Last week we started off by, uh, with an introduction to the seerah and we talked about the basic definition of the word seerah itself, what does seerah mean and what is the subject matter of the seerah, what is the context of the seerah and we also talked about some of the key issues in regards to terminology, what constitutes the seerah and then what are some of the specifics in regards to hadith versus sunnah versus seerah etc. We talked about some of those things. We, the, bulk of last, uh, the bulk of the last session was why study the seerah? What are the benefits of studying the seerah? And so I kind of titled it as why seerah? Why study the seerah? The life of the Prophet ﷺ, the prophetic biography, a seeratun nabawiyah. Why study the prophetic biography? So we covered four basic points. We covered the first four primary reasons to, cover, to, to study the seerah, the prophetic biography. The first of those reasons or first of those benefits of studying the life of the Prophet ﷺ was number one, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands us, or rather I should say, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala recommends to us within the Qur'an, within the book of Allah, in surah number 33, ayah 21, Allah says, That most definitely, no doubt about the fact that immersing yourself into the life of the Prophet ﷺ, there and only there will you find the most excellent, the perfect role model. And so, you... By using the word fee, the Messenger of Allah isn't just telling us to learn about the Prophet but he's telling us to immerse ourselves into discovering who the Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings be upon him was. And that can only happen, that can only occur through a very thorough, a very proper, in-depth analysis and a study and extraction of lessons and practical benefits from the life of the Beloved wasallam. The second purpose or the second benefit that we talked about was studying the seerah versus just taking excerpts of a hadith. Studying a few random hadith here and there versus that. In comparison to that, studying the seerah, the life of the Prophet all of his experiences in intricate detail. What that does is something very interesting and that humanizes the Prophet It humanizes him. It turns him into a real person. Because as I mentioned last time, there's, there's too great of a risk. And this is not even a risk, it's actually in a very unfortunate reality today, that for many, many people today, the Prophet ﷺ was a man, a very you know, legendary person, who lived a long, long time ago in a faraway place and all these amazing things happened. And I equated it because of the culture that we live in today, where superheroes and things like that are such a prominent part of culture, that for a lot of our youth, they feel no differently about the Prophet than they do about Superman. That's a cool story, just like watching Superman was a great movie. But at the end of the day, I have nothing in common with him. I have nothing to do with him. It's just a cool story. What do you want me to do with it? So it's necessary that we humanize the Prophet, Prophet of Allah The third practical benefit and reason for studying the seerah of the Prophet was extracting lessons that are practical and relevant. Because see, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when, when Allah Himself Almighty, and, and I explained this through the words, that whenever Allah uses word, whenever Allah describes the Prophet of Allah uswatun hasanatun, um, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the, at the end of Surah Tutoba, He says, لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِ مَا عَنِتُمْ حَرِيصٌ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَعُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ Allah is using nouns. And part of the rhetorical benefit, the balagha of using these nouns to describe the Prophet is for, for till the day of judgment, the Prophet will be the epitome of these qualities. He will embody these qualities. He will be the ultimate exemplar for all of these qualities till the day of judgment. So the Prophet is a role model for all of humanity. And I'll be talking more about those ayat where Allah very clearly says He, is, he has been sent for all of humanity, for all the creation of Allah, without any restriction of time or place or social context. So the Prophet of Allah is, if he is the role model, then it's necessary that we are able to extract practical, relevant lessons on how to conduct ourselves, on how to live our own lives on a day-to-day basis. And that you can only do when you immerse yourself, when you in-depth take on the seerah and the study of the seerah of the Prophet wasallam. The fourth, and the fine, the fourth uh, benefit that we talked about last week was authenticity of the sunnah. And that was a very lengthy discussion, I'm just going to summarize it here. But basically, it is again a very contemporary challenge that we are dealing with today in the Muslim community and even outside of the Muslim society, Muslim community, the ummah, that there is more confusion about the life of the Prophet ﷺ today, his role within the deen, the authenticity of his life in his sunnah, the authority of his practice, than there has ever been before throughout the history of our ummah. And part of the reason for that, it's been taken on as an intellectual academic challenge, but we really haven't gotten anywhere with it. If, any, if anything, it's made issues, it, may, it has made things worse. Then when we look down at the core of the issue and the core of the problem is, people know very little about the Prophet today. Muslims know very little about who he was, how he lived his life. And when you don't know someone or something, there's no possibility of loving it. Having love for a person when you don't even know anything about him. And I told a personal story about an acquaintance, a friend, somebody that I know personally, that how just by reading about his life and immersing himself into a study about who he was, how he lived his life, this person was led to become not only just familiar with the Prophet but literally led to develop love for the Prophet of Allah And at that point in time, the same person who would object to many ahadith, and the issue of a hadith altogether, the same person no longer had any objections. And now this person at this time became someone, somebody who was in fact leading the discussions of hadith within that community. Would be more than willing to read a hadith and, and read the book of hadith for the community members. Such a complete 180 degree turnaround after 10 years of academically trying to tackle this issue got nowhere. In fact, he told me himself he got more confused. But just through less than a year of studying the life and the seerah of the Prophet reading about him, getting to intimately know him, so intimate where you feel like you know this person, you know what they would say right now, you know what they would do right now, you know how they would handle this issue. To become that intimately familiar with someone led to developing love, respect, and admiration for the Prophet of Allah And that automatically solved that problem, answered that question of, is the hadith authentic or not? Is the sunnah authoritative or not? Now we move on to the fifth benefit, the fifth purpose or reason or benefit of studying the seerah, the life of the Prophet of Allah And that is, the life of the Prophet of Allah is an aid in understanding the Qur'an. It's a direct aid in understanding the Qur'an. Now you've probably heard these type of uh, examples or analogies being given before, and I understand they're kind of cliche, but they've been given 
hundreds and thousands of times because they work. So I'm going to give you that same analogy and I'll just explain it a little bit further. But the, you know, whenever, uh, I mean, just recently I bought a little piece of technology and along with that piece of technology, what, we what I received, what came out of the box was an instruction manual. An instruction manual. And it made things extremely practical. All right? And so in that analogy, the Messenger of Allah, the, the, the Qur'an itself is the instruction manual for this human being. This human being is an amazing creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So remarkable, so unique, that Allah tells us to ponder upon ourselves. Allah tells us to ponder upon ourselves and our own creation, our own, our own existence. Because that in and of itself is a sign of the greatness of Allah. So Allah sent an instruction manual on how this human being should live his life in the best manner possible, to optimally live his life. And that was the Qur'an, the Book of Allah. But occasionally, sometimes you purchase something that is so complex, you buy something that requires a little bit more hands-on understanding on how to exactly function or operate this piece of equipment, this machinery. And at that time you have someone come up, somebody comes in who demonstrates it for you, who sets it up for you, who shows you exactly how to use it. And that is the example of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa He was sent to bring this Qur'an to life. That's why when the, when the wives of the Prophet sallallahu would be asked about his daily conduct, his life, how did he live? How did he conduct himself? How did he live his life? He was taught, they, would, they, they would answer, كَانَ خُلُقُهُ Quran. His conduct, his entire existence, his mode of behavior was the Qur'an. He was a living, breathing, walking, talking Qur'an. And so the example of the, 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 the teachings of the Qur'an come to life through the Messenger of Allah through the Prophet of Allah, peace and blessings be upon him. And that's how the early generations understood it, and that's how the Sahaba tackled it. You know, the, 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 the scholars, they write that this is a sunnah, this is a tradition of the early generations and the scholars of this ummah. That they would read, they would study in detail the life of the Prophet of Allah and then they would teach it to their students and they would teach it to their children. And this was part of the basic education of every believer, of every Muslim. And so one of the things I addressed earlier in the session last week was, we have been in recovery mode over the last couple of decades. The last couple of centuries for the Muslim Ummah, globally speaking, was a very dark time. It was a very troubled time. It was a very difficult time. And the biggest part of that difficulty and adversity, you could talk about the political adversities, you could talk about the socio-economic difficulties, you could talk about the challenges in terms of education, you could talk about all these things. But I feel that the greatest tragedy of the last couple of centuries of the Muslim Ummah, Muslim history, recent Muslim history was, we became so distant from our own deen, our own, the sources of our own deen. The Qur'an became something very ceremonial, something very distant to us. And in the, over the last couple of decades, through the blessing and the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and through the efforts of countless people, we've been in recovery mode. We've been trying to rehabilitate ourselves as an ummah. Where we've been getting back into touch with the Qur'an, the book of Allah. And that's been a huge blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we definitely have a lot of work left. But at the same time, there is a second component to that restoring the, the integrity of the ummah, if you will. The integrity of the ummah, there's a second part, a second step in terms of restoring that. And that is a deep, 
profound understanding of who the Messenger of Allah was and an extraction of practical, relevant lessons, teachings for our daily life here now today on how we can best live our lives as individuals, as families, as communities, as societies, and as an ummah. And we'll find those treasures hidden within the life of the Prophet of Allah and that's something we must turn our attention to. The Prophet of Allah told us you know, as the scholars describe, he left us at al, uh, upon al-hujjatul bayda. He left us upon the most clearest of proofs and evidences, on the most solid footing you could imagine. And what was that solid, solid footing? He said at the hajjatul bida, the farewell pilgrimage, the farewell hajj. He, he said, "Taraktu fikum amrain." Taraktu fikum amrain. Another narration actually says, he says, Taraktukum ala amrain. I have left amongst you, I have left amongst you two things, two sources. And another narration, another wording, he says, I have left all of you upon two sources and two references. Both ways extremely beautiful. The eloquence of the Prophet of Allah And then he says, لَمْ تَضِلُّوا مَا تَمَسَّكْتُمْ بِهِمَا He guarantees with emphasis, he says that you will never ever go astray. You will never lose your way, all of you. You will never lose your way. As long as you continue to firmly latch on and hold on to these two sources. And what are they? Kitabullah wa sunnatu nabi. The book of Allah and the sunnah of His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa His Prophet of Allah. So that is the importance of studying the, the seerah, that it brings the Qur'an to life, and it's a direct aid in understanding the Qur'an. And that is part of the contradiction. That is part of the very... That is part of the foolishness, the lack of intelligence in objecting to the life of the Prophet of Allah in a study of his life in the sunnah, and the seerah, is that you directly take away the most immediate, the most prudent resource you have to really truly grasping and understanding the Qur'an, and that is the life of the Messenger The sixth benefit and purpose or reason for studying the seerah, the life of the Messenger, peace and blessings be upon him, is <clears throat> again, when you have extracted, when you have isolated a hadith, you get a benefit here, you get a ruling there, you get a hukum there, you get a, a, a fiqh you know, implication here or there. But when you study his life all the way through, you're able to do something, and this goes kind of closely connected back to the second point. You are able to observe the Prophet ﷺ interacting with individuals, with non-Muslims, with Muslims, with youth, with women. I mean, these are a lot of questions we have today. The problem of the youth is a universal problem and issue. Not isolated to any one community and not even isolated to us here in America. Talk to people overseas, talk to people across the world. I was just talking to a friend today and he was telling me about the same you know, lack of relevance that Islam is suffering through, that unfortunately Muslims, rather I should say Muslims are suffering through, even in other parts, part of what we call quote-unquote the Muslim world. And so the issue of youth is a universal issue. It's a pressing need of our communities. Well. In the study of the seerah, we get to see how the Prophet of Allah interacted with the youth. Because realize this, when the Prophet started preaching his message, teaching his message, what was his age? And this is of course part of the context of this part of the content that we'll study here in the seerah. But this is a well-known fact. How old was he when he received prophethood? 
40 years old. He was 40 years old. That's not a young man by any means, is it? It's not what we consider, what we consider youth. It's not that at all. But yet he's teaching. In fact, something interesting that we'll talk about when we get there is that many of the early following of the Prophet of Allah were youth. The early Sahaba were mostly young people. Again, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu, we think of Umar and we think this very intimidating, elderly, you know, iron-fisted ruler, leader of the community. Right? That's the image. And sure, when he was Khalifa, that's exactly who he was. He was an elder statesman. He was a very strong, older leader. But one thing we fail to realize, how old was Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu when he accepted Islam? 27 or 28 years old. That is young. So majority of the following, the Sahaba, the companions, the believers were young people. The people on the front lines making the greatest of sacrifices were young people. The man who literally converted half the city of Medina to Islam before the Prophet ever set foot, before he ever arrived in Medina as the Messenger of Allah, was probably an 18-year-old man, Musa'ab bin Umair radiallahu anhu. So this is, it's something very interesting that we have to really understand. So we can observe the interaction of the Prophet ﷺ with so many different demographics, so many different people within society and community, youth. You know, we deal, we deal with the gender issue. The gender issue is always at the forefront of discussion in every single community. Where do you draw the line? How do you draw the line? How far do you go? How far do you not go? Sisters need to be educated, but what's going too far? It's constantly a problem. I can tell you in my profession, in the fraternity of Imams and, and um, educators of the Muslim community, this is something internally we constantly have to grapple with, we're constantly dealing with. The sisters are an equal part of this community. I, I, I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a brother to a sister, I'm a son to a mother, I have two daughters, I'm a father to two girls. I'm extremely concerned about educating our sisters. Because I have so many women that are so near and dear to me that I care for them so deeply, I want them to be given an equal opportunity to learn their deen. But at the same time, as a male educator, I'm constantly having to reevaluate how am I handling things? What should I do? What should I not do? How far is going too far? Etc. So on and so forth. Well, where can we find all these answers? Within the example of the Prophet of Allah All these answers lie there. How do we deal with non-Muslims? So, so many demographics within our communities. We see him interacting with his family. I mean, this is something many of you have probably heard me lecture on a number of times. But the issue of family is at the forefront of our communities today. It is maybe one of the greatest challenges that we are dealing with after faith, after the issue of faith, iman, spirituality itself, which actually leads to the, to the eroding of the family, the foundation of family. But as a direct result of the issues, the crisis of faith, we have a crisis of family. Well, we get to see the Prophet of Allah maintaining a family while having the greatest responsibility any human being has ever shouldered. Nobody is busier than the Prophet of Allah Nobody. Nobody. Unequivocally, no one. Yet, he has a family. And he takes care of his family. And by his own convictions and through the testimony of the people who witnessed him at his time, he was the best family man that ever walked this earth. He was the best husband, the best father, the best cousin, the best nephew, the best everything you can imagine. The best grandfather. So how did he manage all that? We get to observe. See, one thing is that me to just tell you, oh, this is what we know, this is what... But when you read the seerah, 
in detail, you're able to literally as if, as if you are observing that, ha- that going on and that happening. And then as a teacher, how did you deal with students? That's another thing. You know, in, the, in a community like this where there is a school and there are educational programs, we're constantly trying to evaluate our educational process and how are we doing in terms of education. And we want to better the quality of our teachers and we want to get better at teaching people. Well, the ultimate teacher, إِنَّمَا بُعِثْتُ مُعَلِّمًا I have been sent as a teacher, first and foremost as a teacher, the Prophet of Allah says, then we can learn from him how to be a teacher. So all of these examples can be learned from him and so we get to observe the interaction with so many different, across the spectrum, so many different demographics within society. The seventh benefit and reason at the same time for studying the life, the seerah, the prophetic biography is, and this is very interesting, this is personally something that just hooked me. When, when, I, when I realized this, when I first came across this, I was, I was hooked for life. And that is, no single human being's life has been documented like the Prophet of Allah's life has been documented. There is no one in the history of humanity whose life has been documented in this much detail. It is remarkable. It is mind-blowing. When you make a proper study of the life of the Prophet of Allah and you really truly come to terms with the fact of how intricately his life has been documented. So much so, and I, I had a few examples and a few extractions here to share with you, um, just to illustrate the point. And there's actually a collection of narrations which in detail describe the Prophet of Allah called the Shama'il. The Shama'il Muhammadiyah, Shama'ilun Nabi. The main primary compilation has been compiled by Imam Tirmidhi, rahimahullah. And that's something that's actually, uh, it's a project that I've been working on for quite some time, and my intention is to, inshallah, um, translate and lecture on that. And whether it plays out in a, in a lecture series like this, or it's just recorded and put out there for the community's benefit, inshallah, is yet to be determined. But nevertheless, it's something I've been working on for quite some time to bring it into practical, relevant, easy to understand English and then lay it out for everyone the very in detail description of the Prophet of Allah but just a few extractions so much so that it's, it describes the color of the Prophet skin everything about him was observed كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى that he was um, he had like a very in between like a lightly tan type of color tone of skin لَيْسَ adham. That it's not like he was very dark skinned, nor was he very, very light skinned. He had a very like a medium tone type of skin color. It describes the face, the symmetry of the face of the Prophet of Allah. It describes it says The Prophet of Allah was very like he had like a very open, like a broad face. Like his face seemed always very welcoming. And then it says لَمْ يَكُنْ مُسْتَدِيرًا غَايَةَ تَدْوِيرًا It's not like his face was really round and it was a huge face. بَلْ كَانَ بَيْنَ الْإِسْتِدَارَ وَالْإِسَالَةَ But it's almost like he had a very broad open face. But it was just very welcoming when you looked at his face. He was always very pleasant to look at. It describes the, the Prophet of Allah It even describes his forehead. It describes that the Prophet كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ that the Prophet's forehead was a little bit larger and it was very, like again, it was very open, it was kind of a large, he had a large forehead. It describes the, 
the eyes of the Prophet ﷺ. It describes his eyes being that the Prophet of Allah his pupils, the pupils of his eyes were very, very dark, like almost like black in color. The pupils of his eyes were very dark, nearly like black in color. And it goes on describing literally every single thing about him. And then, of course, obviously, where it describes his physical appearance, it even describes the conduct, the character, the behavior of the Prophet of Allah how he spent his time, how he lived his life. And it describes him, mutawasil al-ahzan. The Prophet was always grieving. Grieving one after another after another. Constantly grieving. What was he always grieving about? Over the condition of people. He was always concerned about people. Da'im al-fikrah, he was always in thought. He was always in deep thought. Thinking about people. Thinking about how to help people. Laysat lahu raha. He never had a moment's rest. He'd never take a break. He was always busy, always going, always busy with something. Tawila sakt. For long periods of time, the Prophet would be quiet. He wasn't just babbling unnecessary. He would just be quiet at times. Very quiet, very serene. Very calm and peaceful to be around. He wouldn't talk unnecessarily. And it goes on describing him and how he would conduct himself, how he would talk to people. When the Prophet of Allah would talk to people, he would completely turn himself and face people. He would completely turn himself and face people. He wouldn't talk to people without looking at them. He wouldn't just kind of turn his head and talk to somebody. He would, and it describes when he was sitting, because when you're sitting, it's difficult, right? When you're standing, you just turn. Sitting, it's like, oh, I'm not reading this person, let me just talk to this person. No, he'd get up, he'd turn to the side and face the person and talk to them. And when he'd be done, then he'd turn back around. That's how he talked to people. When he would point at someone or something, he wouldn't point like this at someone. That's rude. We used to be told when we were little, don't point at people, it's rude. He would gesture at people with his whole hand. He was always the first one to say salam. Always say salam. When he had to talk to somebody across the room, he wouldn't be like, Hey, Ubaidullah, hey, guy. He wouldn't just yell at people across the room like that. It's demeaning. And it's disrespectful a lot of times. And it's just not dignified behavior. He'd walk across the room, walk up to the person, touch the person on the shoulder, and then speak to them face to face, pleasantly, in a pleasant tone. He would introduce himself when he would meet people. He would say salam, he'd introduce himself. He'd ask him, what's your name? Where are you from? Just be like, hey, you, I need you to do this. No, no, no. What's your name? Asalaamu Alaikum, what's your name? Where are you from? How's everything? And then he'd get to business. Just these little, little things, how he walked, how he talked. Everything about him has been preserved. So no human being's life has been documented in as much detail as the life of the Prophet of Allah And that in and of itself is just a beautiful thing. And it's, it's an experience. Studying the seerah properly is a life-changing experience. The eighth benefit and reason, purpose of studying the seerah, the prophetic biography, is the universality of prophethood of Muhammad and this is something very interesting. First, I'm going to start off with the basic fact, and I'd like to show you the miracle behind it. The Prophet of Allah وسلم, his prophethood, his message, his example is universal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran says, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا كَافَّةً لِلنَّاسِ 
that you have not been sent except for all of humanity the in the entirety of humanity mankind you have been sent for the entirety of mankind for all of mankind in another place in the quran allah actually commands him to say to announce to people qul say announce proclaim ya ayyuhan nas o humanity o mankind inni most definitely i am rasulullahi ilaykum the messenger of allah and i have been sent to all of you jami'an everyone i am the messenger of allah i have been sent to all of you all of you every single person i've been sent to every single human being in yet in another place in the quran allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us wa ma arsalnaka illa rahmatan lil alamin that you have not been sent except as a mercy for lil alamin alamin to keep the conversation short means people whenever wherever they have ever existed normally we translate it as worlds but it's specifically a people plural and what it refers to is all different generations all different places all different demographics because it's almost like sometimes an entire demographic or an entire ethnicity or an entire country or a specific era or time of people are like a world in existence of their own but it doesn't matter where people are from where they live who they are when they lived the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is a mercy for all of them for all of mankind for every single human being regardless of the specifics and so the universality of the prophet of muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam this is a universal lesson now here comes a very interesting thing part of the gift of the prophet of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam this is one of his gifts and also happens to be one of his miracles The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam says himself utitu bi jawami al kalam in that same compilation there's hadith of a hadith of shama'il describing the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam says kana yatakallam bi jawami al kalam he used to speak with very brief comprehensive words very br- brief comprehensive profound words is the proper best way i can express it and he says utitu i have been given this as a gift this gift of jawami ul kalam jawami ul kalam means the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was able to say a whole lot in very little a whole lot in very little one of the most beautiful collections of jawami ul kalam that i've come across is the 40 the 40 hadith of um shawaliullah dihlawi shawaliullah dihlawi rahimahullah com- uh, compiled 40 ahadith and they are such a beautiful example of jawami ul kalam literally two three word ahadith but so profound so deep so many lessons can be learned from just two or three words that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has uttered and so that that was one of the gifts of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam to be able to see so much and so little now something that the scholars say is very interesting part of the miracle of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam even the miracle of his existence his life his being is that just like his words were a miracle He could say so much and so little. Allah tells us in the Quran, "Likulli ummatin rasul." Likulli ummatin rasul. For every nation there was a messenger. Likulli qaumin had. Likulli qaumin had. For every people there was someone sent to guide them, to show them the way. Allah tells us in specific specifics Allah tells us in the Quran, "Wa ila 'adin akhahum huda." 
To Ad, we sent our brother Hud. To Thamud, we sent our brother Salih. To Madian, to the people of Madian, we sent our brother Shu'ayb. It's as if every people, every time, every era was sent a specific messenger, a specific prophet, a teacher, an exemplar, a role model, a mentor. But the Prophet of Allah وسلم, just like his words, would, com- would, would literally comprise so much, just like his words would encompass so much, his being, his existence, his life encompassed so much. That whereas throughout the history, and we actually have narrations, there's a narration within the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, which talks about the fact that there were over a hundred thousand messengers or prophets sent. Without specifics, there's a hadith in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad that actually mentions the fact that there were over a hundred thousand prophets or messengers sent throughout time. That there was a prophet and a messenger for every specific demographic or type of people or area, region, time. But the Prophet of Allah his life encompasses so much, teaches so many people so many things, that one man's life is the ex- ultimate example, the ultimate role model for where, what we're already looking at 1400 years, which only Allah knows is how many generations, 25 plus generations of people, 1400 years of humanity all over the world, with all their specifics, in terms of their demographics and their lifestyles and all the things that, that's involved with that. One man's life represents so much, encompasses so much, teaches us so much. So that's part of the purpose and the reason to experience, to, come hand, to, become, to get hands-on, to come face-to-face with that type of a miracle. The ninth and the final purpose, benefit, reason for studying the prophetic biography that I'll mention here in the intro is and this is something that I've personally been thinking on for quite some time and that is that we as an ummah today like I said you know we're in recovery mode all right and so you know before you know sometimes like like when a computer crashes unfortunately like a windows computer crashes Right, and you gotta bring it back up, you bring it up in safe mode, right? So for the recovery of the ummah, there's a safe mode. A lot of times because we live in the age of information, and everything is so quick and so accessible and so open and at the speed of light, we can get ahead of ourselves. And I think that there are pockets of our community, and even sometimes our leadership can sometimes kind of get ahead of itself. And what we have to understand is that we're in safe mode right now. The vast majority of our ummah is still in a crisis. Dozens of different crises going on, but the primary one is that spiritual crisis that I'm talking about. Crisis of identity, crisis of spirituality, crisis of iman. That's the cold hard honest truth. That's where we are right now. Now when we look to the revelation of the Qur'an and we look to the early seerah itself, we learn a lesson on how to go forward. How are we supposed to conduct ourselves in this mode? You know the Qur'an in Surah Yaseen, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet لِتُنذِرَ قَوْمًا مَا أُنذِرَ آبَاؤُهُمْ فَهُمْ غَافِلُونَ That you have been sent, you have been sent and the Qur'an has been revealed to you. Why? لِتُنذِرَ قَوْمًا So that you can warn a people, مَا أُنذِرَ آبَاؤُهُمْ their forefathers, their, their, the, the people that came before them, were not warned. 
فَهُمْ غَافِلُونَ So therefore, as a consequence, as a direct result and consequence of that, they are in an extreme level of heedlessness. They're oblivious, they're apathetic. They could care less. They're distant. Meaning what? You're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to work diligently. And you're going to have to keep your head about yourself. You're going to have to stay focused on what is the proper course of action right now. Look at the revelation of the Qur'an. You know, I, I was conducting the, the tafsir of Juz Tabarak. And in the tafsir of Juz Tabarak, one of the things, the 29th Juz, Surah Al-Mulk, Surah Al-Qalam, Haqqa, Ma'arij, one of the things that's interesting, this is very early revelation. And when you observe, when you read early revelation, it's not very like deep theologically in that sense. Like it's not giving you a lot of very deep intricate rulings on aqidah and theology and discussing very specifics. No, it's not. It's not talking about a lot about ahkam, how to pray, when to pray, when not to pray, how, you know, what to do before you... It's not talking about those rulings. It's not talking about marriage and then divorce and then giving zakat and who can you give it to, who should you not give it to. It's not talking about these things. It's not even talking about some of the basic needs that we even have right now. Like he's not talking about leadership development and that, no, 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 all that came later. That's Medinan revelation. What was it talking about? It's talking about basics. It's just establishing the identity. And so there are two terms that are used by scholars, by community leaders. There's ta'aleem, education. And I don't mean like a basic level education. Ta'aleem, when the scholars use the word ta'aleem, it means like a very in-depth, detailed education. And while there always needs to be, later on Medina and Revelation tells us, regardless of the circumstances, even when it's like crisis mode, the ummah is under attack. People are dying. And people got, everyone's got to go out there to handle things, take care of business. Even then there should remain a, people, a group of people behind. Why? So they can gain a very deep understanding of their religion. But having said that, for the general masses, there is ta'aleem, in-depth education, and then there is tarbiyah. Tarbiyah. Just an establishment of the Muslim identity. A bringing of the ummah back up to par, back up to the level where they need to be at, where they are ready to be educated. And there are two primary tools of tarbiyah, the same primary resources. The same two primary resources are the same two tools for tarbiyah. What are those two tools for tarbiyah? A basic understanding of the Book of Allah, the Quran. Doesn't have to be very in depth. I'm not talking about i'rab al Quran, right? The, the 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 kid standing on the street corner, you know, buying or selling drugs. You know, the person who wakes up in the morning and really doesn't know whether they're a Muslim or not. They're not sure how they feel about being a Muslim. The person who in all of Ramadan avoiding everybody because they weren't fasting and they didn't feel like fasting and they didn't know what to do with themselves while everybody was fasting and going to the masjid. That person's at that level of in crisis. That person does not need Arab al-Quran. You can quote me on that. As, as blasphemous as I might sound to some people, Arab al-Quran is not going to help that person. What I mean, I should explain for those maybe watching. I'rab al-Qur'an means the in-depth grammatical analysis of the Qur'an. It's not going to benefit that person. It's not going to help them. What that person needs to hear, what that person needs desperately, is to just hear how Allah is talking to that person in the Qur'an. That Allah is communicating to that person. That Allah will forgive that person. That Allah loves that person. That Allah has prepared a paradise for that person. 
that there are consequences for that person's actions. This is a general iman, that general discourse, what I like to call iman 101 from the Quran. That's what that person needs to hear. That person, and the second tool of tarbiyah is the seerah, the life of the Prophet Because again, that person will feel a sense of connection to the Prophet And he will find a practical role model, somebody that he, that person more than likely, a lot of times, especially in the case of our youth and our children, has been disappointed time and time again by so many different people that they looked up to throughout different stages of their life. Been disappointed time and time again. But that person needs to be introduced to that person that will not disappoint them. A human being that will not disappoint them. And that is the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa And so these are the two tools for tarbiyah. So we ourselves for our own tarbiyah, for the tarbiyah, for the proper upbringing, the establishment of Muslim identity for our children, for our families, for our communities, and for the greater ummah. That is why we must properly study the seerah, the life of the Prophet And so those are nine basic points, nine basic things I wanted to share. Now I wanted to conclude the intro to studying the life of the Prophet here with you. Um, by talking about a few basic things specifically in regards to these, um, to these sessions right here. Number one, I talked about the tradition of studying the seerah. That this is an established tradition, this is a part of the established curriculum of scholarship, of imams, of Muslim leadership at all levels throughout, the, throughout Muslim history. And this is something that we need to reestablish. Number two, books of seerah. So what type of texts are there about seerah? What is the history of the compilation of seerah? So there's a lot in regards to the detail of that that I won't get into um, in a lot of detail. But one thing that I will go ahead and address or one thing that I will tackle is is very, very briefly talking a little bit about how the seerah has been compiled throughout the centuries. So as is the case with many other sciences, even the tafsir of the Qur'an falls under that category, um, many of the, these basic fundamental study, uh, uh, fundamental basic study of the religion and these sciences, it was not officially codified, it was not actually written down to almost 150, 200 years after the Prophet ﷺ because in the early history of Islam, for the first two to three generations, it was mainly an oral tradition, as was the Qur'an, as was the explanation of the Qur'an, as was fiqh and hadith and sirah and all of these things. All right, there are isolated um, examples of things being written down, but it was primarily an oral tradition. It was only later on when very frankly, even though writing is a tool of learning, the pen has been, you know, dignified within the Quran itself. And it is a tool of learning, a tool of writing. The Prophet even said, ilma bil kitaba, trap knowledge through writing it down. Trap knowledge by means of writing it down. Having said that, at the same time, their heavy reliance upon written work and the almost a complete abandonment of memorization and oral transmission of these traditions was in major part due to the laziness developing within the Ummah. We became lazy. We became lazy, we became undisciplined with our time. We became lazy intellectually. And we became very distant from some of these very established principles and practices from the early generations. But nevertheless, once it was now established, it was being properly established, some of the early um, compilations were by Urwa bin Zubair, Wahab ibn Munabba, 
Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri, these were some of the students of the Sahaba, these were great, great tabi'un. Musa bin Uqba, Muhammad bin Ishaq, the, the, the famous seerah of Ibn Ishaq, these were some of the early compilations of seerah. And then later on, this was, if you will, almost inherited, this was passed on to Hamam ibn Munabbah, um, one of the students of Abu Hurair radiallahu anhu, and Al-Makhzumi, um, Ibn Ishaq had a very famous student by the name of Ibn Hisham. And the seerah of Ibn Hisham is famous till today. So teacher to student, teacher to student. So it was first initially penned, the basic skeleton, the basic structure was laid out by these tabi'un, these students of the Sahaba. And then later on it was developed by their students and their students from there. It literally, Ibn ja Muhammad Ibn Jarid al-Tabari, Imam al-Bayhaqi, these are the fourth and fifth generations of Muslims and scholars now. And now this is where they very in-depth started to pen and they started to write it down. And then of course there are some of the very, very famous um, compilations of the life of the Prophet such as Ibn al-Jawzi rahimahullah, Ibn Qayyim had Zad al-Ma'ad, Ibn Jawzi wrote, uh, penned the seerah of the Prophet Qadi Iyad wrote the Al-Shifa, an extraction of benefits and lessons from the life of the Prophet Zaiduddin al-Iraqi who is a great Muhaddith, a great scholar of hadith, also uh, penned much on the seerah of the Prophet Al-Qastalani wrote a book on seerah, Al-Mawahib Al-Laduniya, where he in detail described the Prophet and then wrote about the life and times of the Prophet We also, of course, and then certain scholars who were historians like At-Tabari and Ibn Kathir, they compiled overall history of humanity and history of the Ummah, but within that, the bulk of the content of that was based solely based on the life of the Prophet And so, Al-Bidayah wa Nihaya, the beginning and the end of Ibn Kathir, that contains probably, till today, what we have preserved properly, one of maybe the most detailed accounts of the life of the Prophet And of course, there are dozens and dozens of you know, contemporary books on Sirah from Suleiman al-Nadwi, Shibli Nu'mani, um, Muhammad Hussein Haikal. We of course have the book of even Piktal, the translator of the Quran wrote a book on the Sirah, the life of the Prophet um, Sayyid Muhammad Nadwi, Abu Hassan Ali Nadwi, the Nadwi scholars have done a lot of work in this area. Um, one of the contemporary Sirahs that's very readily available these days oftentimes is the Sealed Nectar by Mubarak Puri. Um, we also have the book on the life of the Prophet that was written by Martin Lings that is also very readily available, widespread. And so there are many, many different books of Sirah that you can find and literally, I have a list in front of me that is probably hundreds long. That's why I don't even know where to start and I don't know where to end. But there's a whole lot of material, to say the least. There's a lot of material. There is, what, what I'd like to say is, you know, in terms, and this I'll say this very openly, in terms of the tafsir, the understanding of the Qur'an, it's a legitimate complaint a lot of times when people say, there's not a whole lot of material in English. There's not a whole lot. That's a legitimate complaint. There are, there's enough material for somebody to busy themselves. But I will readily admit that there's probably not more than a dozen very solid works in the English language on the explanation of the Qur'an. But the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ happens to be one of those things, again, because of that, it's something that's very captivating, it's something very engaging. So, so because of that, that fascination with the Prophet ﷺ, and many of these seerahs have been written by men, they've been written by women, they've been written by young, they've been written by old, they've been written by Muslims, they've been written by non-Muslims. Because the Prophet ﷺ is such a captivating individual that he's fascinating to people from all across the spectrum again.
And so you literally have hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of books on the life of the Prophet that are readily available. And so there remains really no excuse for us to not read and for us to not learn. Now the question that I'd like to tackle next year towards the end of the session here is, how will I be researching the seerah? Where will I be presenting the seerah from? So I'll be taking a couple of different um, resources into consideration. The tafsir of Ibn Ishaq, um, the tafsir, uh, I keep saying tafsir, the, the seerah, how will I be preparing these sessions on the seerah? The seerah of Ibn Ishaq, the al-shifa of Qadi Iyad, the Zad al-Ma'ad of Ibn Qayyim, and I primarily, for a lot of the narrative itself, I'll be relying upon the the uh, extraction of the life of the Prophet from Al-Bidayah and Nihayah of Ibn Kathir. The beginning and the end. I'll be heavily relying upon that for a lot of the narrative. Now, along with that, some of the contemporary resources that I'm also taking a look at, just to kind of pick up again part of that flow, that narrative, is some of the very beneficial ones. Martin Ling's Sira is something that, yes, there are a few objections that have been made to a few of the different uh, issues. There's about four or five different places, specifically that people have pointed out an issue in regards to. But overall, in modern English, in contemporary language, it is probably one of the most flowing and very emotionally, intimately written narratives of the life of the Prophet. That cannot be denied. It requires a fair analysis. Like just like when we talk about tafsir, there are, might be objections in regards to some of the specific personal opinions of some of the mufassirun that does not change the fact that there's a lot there to still be valued and benefited from some of their works. Yes, it requires a greater background in terms of um, sirah, so you can filter through some of those issues, but nevertheless, that's a very good narrative in the English language to observe the flow of the sirah of the Prophet Along with that, one other specific angle of sirah that I want to mention here, because I feel it's a very, very um, beautiful angle, it's a very beneficial angle to take, and that is, again, some of the more contemporary scholars took an angle called fiqh sirah where they specifically studied the seerah just to extract those lessons, those practical benefits from the life of the Prophet So one of more contemporary scholars in more recent times, Muhammad al-Ghazali, um, he has written a book on the fiqh seerah, that the extraction of practical, relevant benefits and lessons from the life of the Prophet So that is another very good resource that people can benefit from. Um, people have also been asking, um, is there something they can follow along with? Something that they can follow along with. So I would recommend the sealed nectar is good in terms of facts, references, times, dates, places, names, people. It's very good in terms of its factual references. So the sealed nectar is a good resource to just kind of keep up with, to kind of look back at. So you can pick up a lot of the narrative, a lot of that, that, that emotional, hands-on approach to life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam here. And then when you want to check back on the references that are made here to names and dates and places, that'll be a good place for you to go back to, to just get that cold hard information. Um, so that, that's one reference or one resource that I would recommend that you go back to and that you can take a look at and you can follow along with. One of the last things that I want to mention here that I wanted to end on just kind of talking very briefly just a couple of quotations or talking about the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and that was special sessions. When you talk about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and you, you know, and this is something again that, you know, numerous scholars have done. This is something that I've been doing a lot of, um, you know, since uh, for quite some time and that is 
talking about how did the Prophet deal with youth? How did he deal with his family? How did he live at home? The specific interactions of the Prophet in special sessions if you will, on how to learn from the Prophet and his life. So what I will do inshallah to sometimes kind of change up the pace of the sessions here or to break the monotony of the weekly sessions, occasionally maybe a few weeks, maybe you know four weeks or six weeks or eight weeks into the session occasionally, we will have a special session in between. So we'll specifically talk about the Prophet and youth. How did he, and really hands-on, really practical lessons and examples, how he dealt with the youth. Talking about the Prophet and how he conducted himself, what guidance he gave at times of tragedy. How was the Prophet as a leader, as a teacher? All these, how did he deal with his family? How did he live with the family? So all of these very specific nuanced details of the Prophet will have occasional special sessions kind of delving into them to kind of give, I guess, if you will, um, an insight specifically into one particular aspect of the life of the Prophet Now, what I'd like to end with here is a specific, just, I guess if you will, like a concluding type of um, message here about the study of the seerah. And from next week, from next session, inshallah, what we will begin is, we will start off by studying the actual seerah, the life of the Prophet and we'll begin by first analyzing and understanding the time in which he was born into. We're not going to start the seerah from the beginning of Revelation. We are going to talk about his early life. We're going to talk about his family. We're going to talk about his parents. We're going to talk about how he grew up. The Prophet as a child. The Prophet as a youth. The Prophet and his marriage, getting married. The Prophet first having children. We're going to talk about his life before prophethood. But even before we talk about his actual birth, I want us to first get a real proper feel. For what was the time like? What was the environment? What was the atmosphere at the time in which the Prophet came into this world? Because part of the miracle that was the Prophet himself and what he was able to achieve and accomplish and the turnaround that occurred in society over a very short period of time, over the lifetime of one man, you cannot fully appreciate that until you are able to not just see where they ended up, but you also have to understand where they started from. That will give you a full appreciation of what he was able to accomplish, what he did, why he is the fascination of millions upon trillions of Muslims throughout 1400 years. And so we'll start off there. The, the last few words I wanted to say about the Prophet so we kind of go home with this motivation to learn about him, to study him, is the Prophet of Allah was the seal of the Prophets. He was the most perfect of all of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation. He is the Habib, the beloved of the Prophet. Uh, he is the beloved, the Habib of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he is, the scholars refer to him as the crowning jewel of humanity. Allah says in the Quran, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ تَقْوِيمِ وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي آدَمِ But the crowning jewel of this great miracle that is mankind, the crowning jewel is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He is named Ahmad. He is named Muhammad. He is referred to as Mustafa and Abu al-Qasim. And as his name Muhammad and Ahmad etymologically refer back to no human being has been praised, no human being has been talked about as much and as profoundly as Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa 
He is Abdullah, the perfect slave of Allah. He is Al-Mustafa, the one chosen by Allah above and beyond all of the creation and all of humanity. He was not only the Nabi of Muhammad, uh, he was not, Muhammad was not only the Nabi of Allah, but he was also the Rasul and the Messenger, the Prophet and the Messenger of Allah. But at the same time, he was the friend of Allah. He was the Khalil of Allah. And he was a mercy for all of humanity and all the creation of Allah. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ so inshallah, we'll go ahead and conclude here for today. This concludes the introduction. And from next week, inshallah, we'll begin the actual study of the seerah by first understanding the time in which the Prophet ﷺ was born into. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this a means of benefit for us. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to all properly emulate and model ourselves after the most perfect example of Muhammad ﷺ. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallahu wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nasafiru wa natubu ilayhi.